Nope is a good example of how a film turns out when a lauded director proves too fond of his own flourishes to trim the fat, to worry about whether his ideas cohere, or to respect the dramatic imperatives of the form in which he is working. Love the review. Kyle Smith of Wall Street Journal. He's talking about Nope, brand new film from Jordan Peele. A huge one. I think it opened at $44 million at the box office. Another massive opening for the director of Get Out. That is our new movie this week. Our old movie. I'll be talking a lot about my trip to South Carolina and in particular Fort Sumter. And so inspired by that... I was so pumped as I was looking at Fort Sumter, I saw something about the 54th Regiment. I go, I know the 54th Regiment, that's a story of glory. And I asked one of the tour guides, I go, wait, this is about this? He's like, one mile north, 0.8 miles Pacific is Fort Wagner, which is the ending of glory. So I was like, there's actually a monument, there's nothing there commemorating that. But yes, you're in the same area as that. So I'm like, oh, perfect. I got my old movie now for this week. Glory, starring Denzel Washington, which he won his first Academy Award, Morgan Freeman, Matthew Broderick, uh, and so on and so forth. And as far as our wildcard is concerned, Dennis Lehane. Uh, you know if you're a fan of movies that his name is synonymous with a lot of films being adapted from his work. Mystic River, uh, Shutter Island, a couple notable ones. He's got a show called Blackbird, which is currently an Apple Plus in which he, I believe he created. He's definitely written the teleplays for her, so definitely check that out. Dennis was great. Lots of good stories. A very funny guy. First and foremost, though, shout out to Chris Cody, who was doing this. I was on vacation last week. We took the week off. And then Chris is on vacation this week, and you're still soldiering, fighting the good fight, back from Jersey. And you like the Jersey Shore. Where I'm an hour and a half away from where you were. Just call me Chrissy D at this point. That's my Pauly D terrible wordplay there. But I, I, I did the Jersey Shore first time ever. I didn't know what to expect. I was pleasantly surprised. My daughter loved the boardwalk. I was schmoozing with family members on the East Coast. You know, maybe Ray Romano. I'm going to pick that nice. name up. Um, but yeah, no, it was great. I, I didn't know what to, I didn't have high expectations for Jersey, but loved it. And uh, I'm back, man, ready to roll. The train doesn't stop. I want some more about Ray Romano. How was he? He's oddly like he's Quiet. He, he, looking at him. He doesn't like have a bunch of Gucci. You know what I mean? He's, he's just like a plain guy. He's just like his kids are making fun of him. Uh, he's got a daughter and twin boys and three boys. So they're all just, like, he's just like the old dad that gets made fun of by his kids. He's, mm. he's really cool. I got to talk to him about golf and stuff. Cause remember he hit me with a golf ball. So that's like our entry point. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, we, we may have had some conversations that he was like, Hey, by the way, we don't, uh, this is all off the record. So I was like, Oh, look at this. Oh, I can't tell you, but uh, we had some, uh, some good stuff, man. No, and he's, he's that's really great. cool. He, like he's, he's as normal as you could be. And the house that we visited that they're staying on and the Jersey on long beach Island. Holy crap. <laughs> it's like, that is not seaside Heights. It is. <laughs> yeah. Cause seaside Heights, I take my kids, you know, once a month in the summer. Right, it's just so very I, touristy. I yes. Very touristy. Yeah. Beautiful beach. You know, you got the waves and stuff. You got a nice little water park. But yeah, where he's going is, yeah, that's very Romano territory. It's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just gigantic, like, mansion that they rent <sighs> on the water. That's awesome. Shout yeah. out to the great people at Charleston, which is where we went in South Carolina. I had not had a family trip in years because of COVID. And I always heard Charleston's a great city. John Skipper. Oh, it's great. Uh, I've been there. Yep. John Skipper, he said, oh, I tell you, I knew you would love Charleston. It's a wonderful place. It's got wonderful history and it's just fe- uh, spectacular seafood. I'm like, yeah, I delicious can imagine. Delicious cuisine. Oh, delicious. Uh, Danny Canals raved about it. Dari Noka. Everyone's like, bro, you got to get to Charleston. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll take my kids to Charleston. Yeah. And? So picture the scene. We're there. And I don't know about you. I seem like you're, I think you're pretty organized. And like, you'll plan things. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't plan. I'm like, I'll just take the hotel that I see. So I go into a hotel. looks like a fortress. I walk in. I'm like, oh my God, like, is this a, a fortress? Minute. You go there without a hotel booked? Correct. Because okay. I'm like, it's a touristy place. I'm like, there's lots of hotels. Like, if it's not a touristy place, like if I was going to Wisconsin, I'm like, okay, I should probably book ahead. Right. But here, I'm like, it's Charleston. There's huh. lots of places. Like, there's, okay. it's touristy. Right. But the, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that's my thought process. So I walk in. I go, this thing looks like a castle. And he's like, yeah. I go, do you have any vacancies? He goes, no. I'm like, all right. I go, tomorrow? He's like, yes. I'm like, great. I'll take the next two days after that. He goes, there's a Hampton Inn right up the road. I'm like, perfect. Go to the Hampton Inn, which I stayed at the night before. Love the Hampton Inn. Yeah. As I'm checking in, the guy says, hey, I, I see you got a bunch of kids with you here. He's like, I'll get you a room right by the pool. I'm like, awesome. He's yeah. like, anything for a fan of the show. Now, I don't know what he means by fan of the show. I'm like, uh, do you mean like the show here in Charleston? Do you mean MLB <laughs> Network? Do you mean, I have no idea what you're saying. Cinephile? Yeah, cinephile. So as we're walking out, I say, thanks. What was the name? Seth. Okay, Seth, thank you so much. He's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, I've, I've seen Chris Cody a couple times here. I'm like, okay, so now I know he's fan of the show. He's Levitard. So I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Cody's my guy. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I've seen him at least a couple times. I'm like, really? He's like, I'm what? like, 
I don't know if Chris has been to Charleston. So I, I, I'm going to text him right now. He's really like, yeah, we'll do this in real time. I'm like, how many times have you been to Charleston? We then went and did our thing. But then you texted me back, oh, I've only been once. And I go, there's this guy, Seth, who said he's seen you at least twice. And you go, maybe he saw me twice on the same trip. Right, which I thought was like, a good answer by you. I was there, I think, less than a year ago or around a yeah. year ago. And, and I was there for four days. It's the only time I've ever been in Charleston. Yeah. So that's funny that that he guy said, sees me regularly. Yeah, he said he also seen Smetana. I don't know how often Jessica's been, but he's like, oh, I've seen Jessica here. I'm like, yeah, so this guy, he's dialed in. I'm like, all right, great. We go to this- Hall's Chop House, which is known as, I mean, it's literally rated. You can Foodies yeah. all have these rating systems. Mm-hmm. The best steakhouse in America. Even the Charleston Tourist Center, wow. the guy was like, oh, bro, because you can look it up. It's the best steakhouse in America. He goes, was it maybe pricey? Wor- he goes, maybe worst case, it's number three. I'm like, okay. We walk in, and so you're every talking guy like there. so you're talking like sixty two bucks for a fillet. Like, are you talking like this pricey, like this type of thing, right? Okay. Yeah, well, we walk in, and I know it's a high end steakhouse, <laughs> but all the guys are wearing. I mean, it's hot. It's nineties, you know, humid that that South Carolina weather. Yeah. But they're all wearing button downs and, and slacks, and women are wearing dresses. We walk in looking like people who are here from Jersey on vacation. Yeah. Like I, I, I walked in, you know, baggy shorts. My kids are wearing their usual stuff. Yeah, and. I could tell they're like, we don't have a table. But it was a Monday. I'm like, you don't need a table. And I was like, listen, we're here from New Jersey. Can you just hook us up? And thankfully, the guy at the front, Gregory, goes, where were you from? I said, uh, New Jersey. He goes, Bergen County? I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, I'm from Manhattan. He goes, Mets or Yankees? I go, ooh. And I could tell he's a Mets fan. I swear, Oh, uh, you should have just gone, hey, I'm sorry. I work for MLB Network. I can't choose. I should have been impartial. But then I went with, because Booney's my guy. So I said, the Yankees, mm, should have said Mets. But okay. So at least he gave us a table. But the table's right next to the sax player. Like, I love my jazz, but this guy's blaring away. So oh, like, my wow. kids, we can't have any conversation. Like, five-year-old jazz is trying to talk to you. And I'm like, buddy, I can't hear you. This, this music's too loud. But have some more mac and cheese, another lemonade. But thankfully, the owner recognizes me. And listen, nobody ever recognizes me. I can go months right. and years of it. But this guy right. come over and goes, used to be on Mike and Mike. I'm like, yeah, Billy yeah. Hall. I'm the owner. Nice to meet you. I'm like, awesome. He's oh. like, and so now I'm like, now we're cooking. Free apps? Free, Free apps. Yeah, he goes, I'll send over some appetizers. And I'm trying to explain to my kids. They go, when they do this, that means it's free. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, because we're not choosing. He's just sending it over. So yeah. fried green tomatoes. Nice. I think it was some, some biscuits, whatever it was. I'm like, sure. Nice. Now, as for your point, the steak. So I said, listen, my friend Charlie Frankel said this is the best steak he's ever eaten. And I understand this is rated as the best, if not the best, top yeah. three steakers in America. So waiter's like, yeah. I go, so this is the first and probably last time I'm going to be in Charleston. Like, the, We'll get to the yeah. sports in a second, which is terrible in Charleston. But I said, so there's you no gotta, you gotta, you're saying you got to go big here. Like, You need to order the most, like, whatever's the biggest thing, that's what I want. So I tell the guy, what should I get? And I said, hey, I go, my friend got the filet. And he goes, hmm. I go, what? He goes, filet is, it, it's a little tender. It's a little leaner. I go, no, I want tasty. Like, I want yes. flavorful. Like, I'm here one rib time. Eye. Give me that ribeye. You nailed it. Somebody knows their steaks around here. He goes, 14 ounce ribeye. I go, done. Bone in, not about whatever. He goes, 14 ounce ribeye. I go, how do you, how do you, medium? Medium, a little bit of marbling, I'm sure. Whatever you say. Yeah. Cody, I'm telling you, that, that first bite I took, that's, I keep thinking about it. I go, oh my God. Now I know why it's rated as the best steak in America. Really? Hall's Chop House, incredible. Oh, 76 wow. bucks, but it was worth it. Oh, kids yeah. crush the mac and cheese, lemonade. Yeah. Yeah. And then he goes, all right, time for dessert. I go, listen, my kids can't even finish their food. By the way, the owner of Billy Hall, big San Francisco Giants fan. He keeps coming over. We're talking Carlos Rodon. We're talking Gabe Kapler, Farhan Zaidi. Yeah. I'm like, this is great. He just wants to talk baseball. Yeah. Um, and at the end, he goes, dessert? I go, no, there's no way. My kids didn't even finish their mac and cheese. I, I got very annoyed when people unless don't finish it's their free. food. Unless it's so free. then he goes, he goes, okay, no problem. And then he goes, how about ice cream? And Adine, oh, ice cream. I'm like, okay, okay, fine. Two ice yeah. creams for Adine and Shaz. Yeah. He comes over and Yusuf goes, I'll never forget the look in your face because he brought over the bread pudding with ice cream. And I'm like, oh. oh. And it was that face of like no you didn't like I, this is what i want but i don't want this because i'm like yes. this is like a thousand calories but mm-hmm. i'm like oh god i have to eat this incredible bread pudding you, cinnamon oh, ice cream you bro. slept so good that night oh my god like i made sure i went to the treadmill the next morning i was like i gotta have to work out some of this stuff but they were very generous free apps free desserts but then of course i covered it in the tip like oh I, yeah like it's a dangerous game it's like am i tipping for everything what's the it's a you don't want to be the guy that was recognized that didn't right. tip enough it's a slippery slope because I said to you, how much do you think the bill is going to be? He's like, 200 I got more than that, 250 And the bill came, it was 131 I said, okay, now you got to give a $100 tip. Yeah. And he said, you're giving me a $100 tip? I go, buddy, all, they gave us free appetizers, free ice cream, so you yeah. covered that with the tip. He's like, oh, okay. No, I understand. I mean, that's generous by you. Like, I, I think, yeah, yeah. like, well, because, yeah, if $130 bill, you're leaving at, like, like, 28 bucks normally. So, yeah, like an extra yeah. 70 bucks. Like, you just want to, you can't be the guy that under tips in that spot. A hundred percent. And I explained yeah. to them, as you said, I'm like, they know who I am. So that will get around. Like, this guy had never came. He's the cheapest tipper ever. His kids were a disaster. Uh, Even he said to me, because I wasn't hundred percent sure it was you, but then I saw the Jackie Robinson shirt. I'm like, oh, it's gotta be him. And he goes, once I heard your voice, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Anyways, Halls was I, incredible. Go ahead
a little disappointing. I was like on the boardwalk and some guy was just like, Cody Lepetard. <laughs> yes. You know, one oh. in five days, you know, it's not, not great. Not That's great. a low ratio for you. Normally you're getting at least one a day. Uh, yeah, on vac- at least a couple throughout the trip. One for yeah. the trip was a little ego. Like, you know, I, like, I wanted it to happen in front of my in-laws because it makes me look cool. Well, like, you know, I want like the whole family to be around and someone to come up like, hey, Chris, can I get a picture? Yes. You know, I've never had that moment like in front of my in-laws. Like I really want them to experience how and, famous I am. And you're 100% right. We don't care, but it's for other people. Because I was yes. just thrilled. I walked out of halls and a guy yells at Adnan. I'm like, oh. Yeah. So I crossed you to talk to this guy. He's some yeah. rando who was a big fan. of me. He runs a sports bar up the streets. So I'm like, yeah. you're right. It was more for the kids to go, wow, dad's kind of famous. Right. He's been recognizing three people yeah. in like two hours. I'm like, yeah, let's go, yeah. Charles. I want my brother-in-law to be like, yeah, you're, you save lives being a firefighter, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a D-list celebrity. <laughs> What do you got? <laughs> Chris D. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Hyman Seafood, also very good. As I'm oh, sitting yeah. there, I see a picture of Mike Golick. And I'm like, what is this? Like, there's just pictures of celebrities throughout the place. So I immediately post the picture and text to Golick. And he goes, where the hell are you? I said, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina at Hyman Seafood. He goes, oh, my God. That place gave me so much food. And as I was yeah. walking out there, I got recognized by a guy named John. Although I Look think at he you. Said, although I think he said Adman. It was hilarious. He goes, Adman? I'm like, Adman. Oh, like, no. Yeah, yeah. He goes, can I get a picture? Make sure. But again, Mike and Mike, ESPN. I'm like, all right, do the whole thing. And then he <laughs>, laughs. But he knows Cinefox. Fox. I know you're a big movie guy. We should talk Top Gun. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And the girl who's off the side who also works there. 1819. She's like, wait, you're in Top Gun? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I give a wink? Can I give a wink? So after this guy talks to me about Cleveland sports for five minutes, my kid's going to go to the bathroom, run around. She's waiting for me. And I'm like, what? She goes, oh, are you were in Top Gun? I'm like, what? Like, you want, you want to talk to me because you think I was in Top Gun? She's like, yeah, that's what, that's what he said. I'm like, I, I was not in Top Gun. I'm just a big movie guy. In fact, I loathe Tom Cruise. But I wanted to actually lie to her and tell her I was in Top Gun, but my scene was cut. Because she goes, I, I was going to go back and watch it for you. I'm like, well, you'll see me. I'm kind of in the yeah, background, man. you know, background yeah. actor. Not a big deal. But, <laughs> scene um, was cut. And then the third place, Queen E2 was pretty good. We, there's a place called Husk. I'm sure, I don't know if you found this too. If you ever tweet where you're going, you get you like 100 fig? messages. Okay. No, there's one called Husk. Because there's 100 okay. people who then message you. Oh, go to this place. Go to this place. Go to this fig place. Fig must have been one that you got. Fig, fig is that I'd heard about, but I didn't go to Fig. Husk, yeah. the, the woman was kind of rude at the front, and I was like, oh my God, like she was just kind of arrogant. I go, she goes, there wasn't a table, and then she kind of made a snide remark like, oh, well, I wouldn't be dragging my kids here without a re- reservation. I'm like, oh, great, guess, guess who's never dragging their kids here again? Me. Yeah. And I'll be blasting you on Cinefile too, so don't go <laughs> to Husk. <laughs> but you're right, Fig I've heard about, Magnoise is apparently pretty good. We yeah. went to 82 Queen. The big food, I don't know about you, but when I'm there, I want to have the local food. Man, I think you are yeah. like me, because you text me and you right. go, how yeah. is the New Jersey food? And I go, Italian yeah. food's the best. And you go, yeah. Yeah. Seafood, I'm like, hmm, it's okay. Yeah. It's not great. I got good. Sea- I got, we got good yeah. Italian. Yeah, good. But in Charleston, I go, okay. What's, what are you guys known for? They go fried flounder. Oh yeah. I go, okay. This fried fish. The shrimp grits. and grits. Shrimp, shrimp and grits. Shrimp and grits. Yeah. All that, that was stuff. the big thing. Is you got to go shrimp and grits and fried flounder and grits. I go, okay, cool. Because yeah. grits to me, it's just bastardized oatmeal. Right. Like what right, exactly right, right. is grits on its own? It's just right. disgusting. But they go, we right. get it. It tastes like whatever you're eating it yeah. with. So it just it feels like the flounder. I feel like we've undersold a little bit how odd it is that you like. I would say ninety eight percent of people book a hotel when they train when they plan a trip. <laughs> I would say very, especially with kids. Yeah, like you're having to like lumber these kids around. Like very few people just like land in a city and they're like, all right, let's yeah. go find a hotel. <laughs> Let's put this to the masses. Is 98% higher or lower than the actual percentage of people? Because you're right. It's definitely the majority. Maybe like single people, like a couple that are just going somewhere on a whim, maybe. But like... I mean, you got three or four kids, right? Like, yeah, that's true. It was, it was a, definitely a risky move in retrospect, but it worked out to my advantage. <laughs> but you are right. Day, a real touristy place has a lot of hotels. So, like, that you're was rarely going to be. It's never going to be all booked up. Correct. And that guy Seth was unbelievable. He ended up sending me a note. He slipped me a letter underneath my hotel, and it said, "Mr. Verk." It was like it was like serial killer writing. I go, oh "My God!" But that's it was creepy. like. But he said, "He goes, I've never because I'm not a baseball guy." I'm like, "Wow, okay, you're lost." He goes, "I've only listened to the file a handful of times." Again, you're lost. But he said, "But I'm a huge fan of yours. Every time you're on Levitard's show, my day perks." up meeting you was amazing mm-hmm. you're such a nice guy or friendly guy you've inspired me to do my own sports podcast this is unbelievable like what a nice wow. letter so i didn't the, know how to get back to him because he didn't let under the door a little creepy it's like him assuring you just so you know i know exactly where you sleep <laughs> yeah. i could make a room key if i wanted to oh my god that's horrible. there's like there's like a few places where if you get recognized by like that worker it's like yeah. okay this could get weird it's like hotel employee it's like okay so now <laughs> you know exactly what room i'm in if you're that right. creepy you could i'm not saying this guy was i'm just saying of course, if yeah, your yeah. name places where you could be recognized where you're like oh no that I think that'll be okay but that guy yeah. could do something with this information but I think it depends on the level of celebrity right I'm I'm nobody if it was Levitard like if Dan gets recognized he would be right. upset right he like would, he would the, change rooms I think that, that, that the hotel would probably tell a lobby a guy working the front desk hey 
don't like be too forward if you know who these people are because they they know that you know where they're going to be sleeping like i don't know i just feel like that guy probably broke code even though he's nice big fan of us big fan of levitard i love that guy not don't want anything bad to happen to that guy right but probably don't do that so then I, but but, the, but at the front desk because he didn't leave his information because I, I you know I'd like some help on the podcast so I at the front desk gave my information I go hey here's my cell give this to Seth oh you are so nice man you are the oh, yeah. nicest person no I had to because it's such a nice letter so Cody he yeah. texted me afterwards is okay like, hey, here's my idea for a podcast I go it's not bad I go listen if you flush it out I'll send it to Mike Ryan at the very least I can send it to Cody we can I can what's his idea just talk sports. No, no, I I'm can't tell you what it is because oh. if somebody steals the idea, all of a sudden he'll be like, "Well, oh, okay. you can't Ooh, this is now I really want it. We'll tell but, tell me offline." But it is definitely sports related. The best part is we go to the next hotel, which is right down the street, the Fortress, right? And the guy there goes, "Hey, Adnan." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "I'm John. I'm Seth's roommate. Seth is the guy I just met the previous oh, hotel." I go, this my, is incredible. This go, is getting odds? creepier. Yeah, I go, "What are the is... odds?" I've gone to two hotels randomly, and both people recognize me. And John's even better. He's like Philly guy. He knew right away. He's like Flyers, Eagles. I'm like, "Oh, let's go!" Like this wow. guy's unbelievable. And he so was. Oh, so you, you got recognized like half a dozen times. I couldn't believe it. We're on the we're on the ferry to Fort Sumter. Are you Adnan Verk? Yes, I am. I'm like, oh, I've I've never been recognized more in my life. Charleston, South Carolina. It was amazing. I did I did that Fort Sumter tour. Well, I, we also went to a plantation, which I was like, this is horrifying. I mean, you go there, yeah. and I'm like, because yeah. you tell somebody, I'm going to a plantation, like, oh, my God. Like, you see slave cabins from the 1850s. I mean, that yeah. is jarring. That puts things in perspective. I, I was the guy on the, sump, on the Fort Sumter Island just looking for shade. You know, like, there's like a <laughs> it few is nooks here. Hell. There's just yeah. a few nooks where there's some shade overpasses. I was that guy yeah. just, like, lingering in the shade, waiting you for f- my wife to be like, all right, let's go. But I feel like as a Floridian, you can handle that heat. Like when I was there, I'm like, this is a different kind of heat. South Carolina, Florida, it's 92, 93, humid X 102. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I can handle it, but I still am looking for doesn't shade. Doesn't mean you like it. <laughs> it's like people in Canada. They'll go, oh, you, you grew up in Canada. You love the winter. I'm like, it doesn't mean I love it. I can handle it. It doesn't mean I right. like it. So same <laughs> exactly. as you. I can handle the heat, yeah. but it's crazy. Anyways, we'll talk for some to a little bit yes. later on. But, but, but Charleston, great people. The other thing, too, everyone's like, it's a great college town. Maybe it's just when I was there. I mean, I was there in July. I'm like, I really didn't see any college people. All the women are either 16 or 60. So I think college. <laughs> College of Charleston is more like, you know, March, April kind of thing. Yeah. Folly Beach, though, was great. Is the weather like this in Miami as well? I mean, obviously parts of Florida, it's like humid like crazy. Then thunder showers, like nuts for 30 minutes, oh, and that's totally yeah. fine. Yeah, that's our mess of my thing. life. Every yeah. During the summer, between 3 and 5 p.m., yeah. it's raining at some yes. point. Like, okay. <laughs> same thing. Because yeah. we're at the beach, and you see the clouds coming. Everyone's just taking off. I go, oh, it's not that big a deal. I'm like, no, 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 bro, run. Run for your life. It's like aliens are attacking. The thunder shower came. I'm like, oh, my God, we got destroyed. Yeah. But for half an hour later, it's totally fun. Yeah. Anyways, love the great people at Charleston, Seth and John in particular. Let's talk a little movies, shall we? Nope. I'm saying yup to nope. This is the latest movie from Jordan Peele. Of course, he's a terrific director, and he's really been a guy who I don't think anyone expected this was coming. I mean, Key and Peele is a funny show, sketch comedy show. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone expected this guy's going to be a director to make a film like Get Out, which Showing was Showing so- some range, right? Uh, I mean, oh, my like, God. Like, like culturally resonantly funny on that show, and now just doing this like dark I mean, Absolutely. There's some humor in these movies, but still. But you're right. It, Get Out, most of his movies are scary. Like These are like terrifying horror movies with humor, with social commentary, with insight, and no falls along in those trails. The residents of a lonely gulch in inland California bear witness to an uncanny and chilling discovery. It's written and directed by Jordan Peele. Daniel Kaluuya stars, one of his uh, collaborators, of course, previously from Get Out. But the movie starts out, uh, Daniel Kaluuya and his father, the great Keith David, they're on some horses, and they train horses to be used in Hollywood movies. So... Later on, you see them on a Hollywood set. They got the green screen, everything. You know, the X's on the horse. Uh, they're kind of being like horse trainers and stuff. But oh, it's kind of an interesting job. And you know, there's been a half an hour development of those characters, Kaluya and his sister, who is excellent, Kiki Palmer, very charming, very sweet, and what their job in life is. So you're out there in this, you know, idyllic land, out there in the countryside, roaming your horses, and then a horrible accident happens. Not sure exactly what happened, but it results in a murder. Okay, what's going on here? So they start doing a little investigating, and all of a sudden, oh, that's right, UFOs are coming. So you think you've seen this movie before and there's certainly i think you know influence from other films steven spielberg's close encounters of the third kind uh, signs from m night Shyamalan, you know other world the ufo type stuff but what's interesting about jordan peele is this it's a very unhurried style and again he tries to mix up different genres so it's not just going to be a movie about ufos and aliens coming to attack it's also going to be like a black western it's also going to be you know a movie with comedic intentions as well 
And so while I appreciate his drive and his ambition, and at all times I have the feeling that this guy really is an impressive filmmaker, I think the story could have been tightened up a little bit, and I think at times it is dragging. Having said that, what's the most important part of a film like this? you got to stick the ending. You can have all the chills and suspense building, but eventually when the boogeyman shows up, you got to deliver the goods. If this is about UFOs and aliens coming, eventually the ending's got to be good, whether it's Arrival or any sort of films like that. And I did think the best part of the movie was the third act. When he has to bring the razzle and dazzle, he's able to do that, but do so in a very dramatic way. So where are you, Chris Cody, when it comes to UFOs and supernatural, all this kind of stuff? You know, I, I sit on the fence. It's like, I'm not ready to say that they're not real. I don't really, I'm not a big, I don't believe in ghosts, but yeah, I can't believe we're the only people in this like world, right? I mean, yeah. so I kind of, you know, I kind of sit on the fence and I hope that they won't kill us. <laughs> I'm kind of with you. I'm like, we, we can't be the only beings. So I'm like, there's going to be something else out there. But I think some of these people who talk about, you know, being abducted by aliens are kind of kooks. Right. So, so I'm like, mm, That's I'm why with it's you. like, I, I don't want the aliens to hear me talking shit, but I don't really <laughs> believe that they're out there like in this capacity. If they're out there, I feel like they're not, we're probably smarter than them. Yeah, we got the goods on them, hopefully. Yeah, that's it's like so, but that's just where I sit. I just, just don't kill me if you're out there. Yeah, if you're listening right now, aliens, we are good. Take me to your leader. <laughs> um, ultimately, though, I think if you're a fan of Jordan Peele, I want to be careful and not reveal too much, because again, I think his films are better left unsaid. So go check out Nope. I'm going to give it two and a half Maple Leafs. I don't think it's as good as Get Out. It's on par with us. Again, he's, he's certainly an impressive filmmaker. I just thought he could have trimmed the fat a little bit, as that one review from Kyle Smith said. A couple other reviews. John Wenzel of Denver Post. Jordan Peele is well on his way to being among those who have refocused the art form, and Nope will ensure that we keep watching. And also from Richard Brody of The New Yorker. I greatly enjoyed the discovery of the plot's daring and inventive twists and turns, along with the discerning and speculative ideas that they bring to light. By remarkable design, the movie is as full of action as it is light on character psychology. So, a bit of a uh, backhanded compliment there. There's one character in the movie, by the way, uh, Stephen Yeun. Remember, I really loved him in Minari. He's really good. There's also this actor in the movie I believe his name is Michael Wincott. He's one, I got to look up more about this guy. He's got an incredible voice. He sounds like Sam Elliott. He sounds like one of these, you know, old school guys, kind of talks like this and a voice full of gravel. I'm like, I don't know what else this guy has done because clearly he's one of those actors when you watch me, go, who is that guy? I just find him interesting and fascinating. So I'll do more on that uh, at another time. Once again, the film is called Nope. You can check that out in theaters right now. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, other film that I want to talk about before we get to our wild card, Dennis Lehane, and that is the film Glory. I think it is the best film ever made about the Civil War. The synopsis is this. Robert Gould Shaw leads the U.S. Civil War's first all-black volunteer company, fighting prejudices from both his own Union Army and the Confederates. film came out in 1989, which was a notable year for movies. You had Dances with Wolves that year. You obviously had some other films of that ilk. I, I wish that Glory had done... Sure, Dennis was 1990. I was thinking of Driving Miss Daisy, came out in 1989. Do the Right Thing as well came out from that year. Spike Lee's fantastic film, which was ignored. I wish that Glory had done better with the Oscars, but what noticeably people know about the film is Denzel Washington won his first Oscar for it. He won Best Supporting Actor. I believe the film also won for Best Cinematography from Freddie Francis. The score is incredible, though. I mean, I think if you love movies, you love movie scores. James Horner is the composer. He passed away a few years ago. 
I believe when he died, the headlines said something like Titanic composer James Horner. I'm like, okay, that is true. He did Titanic, and that is a memorable score. But the score to Glory, I'm telling you, is one of the top five, top ten movie scores in movie history. It is incredible, and it's so impactful. Like, it chills every time I hear the music. One of the concerns when it came to Glory was this. It's what has been kind of billed as a white savior movie, meaning you're looking at a marginalized community, but you're doing it through the eyes of a white person. If you look at a film like Mississippi Burning, that's focusing on civil rights and the issues affecting blacks in Mississippi in the 60s, but the heroes of the story are two white men, Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. So hence the concept of the white savior. He's coming there to save the black folk from whatever is impacting them. Similarly, in a film like Schindler's List, it is not told through the stories of a Jew. It's told through a German, one of those who is actually in charge, Liam Neeson. And then through his eyes, you see the atrocities and you see the change in his character. I don't necessarily think it's a poor way to go, but I understand why there's reservations about it. You want to feel like, hey, this is our story. Why are our people not telling it? Having said that, Edward Zwick, the director, was very cognizant of it. So when he made the film, he said he knew that they were going to have to do it through this white eyes perspective because that's what the studio wanted. But he wanted to make sure there was as many impactful scenes in the black cast as possible. And I think in so many ways, it was able to make it work. Now, the, the main challenge of Glory, which I still can't totally get around, is Matthew Broderick plays the lead, Colonel Robert Gould Shaw, and he took the role because this is a few years after Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He wanted to prove he could do a serious role, dramatic role, and it takes a little while to get used to. I think if you watch Glory right now, you go, I'm not still totally buying yeah. Matthew Broderick in this role. But I get it. He's a boyish character. He's trying to show his leader something different. The good news is the rest of the cast is outstanding. Carrie Elvis is his commander in charge. Morgan Freeman is incredibly impactful as Sergeant Major John Rollins. I mentioned Denzel who won an Oscar, more on him in a second. One of my favorite actors, Andre Brower. He's amazing as uh, Corporate Searles. And the rest of the cast is uniformly excellent. So it's one of those movies where even if the lead character isn't somebody you're totally buying, he's kind of this enigmatic, elliptical character. The rest of the cast is so strong. Uh, the writers are Kevin Jarhe of the screenplay, and it was based on the book by Lincoln Kirstein, Lathis Laurel, and Peter Burchard, the book One Gallant Rush. Chris and I have both been to Fort Sumter. So again, Fort Sumter is the, the first shots of the Civil War. So there's a 30-minute ferry ride you take out there. And props to Park Ranger Andy. This guy was unbelievable. I think he basically explained Fort Sumter and the Civil War in about 20 minutes in the ferry ride out there. He was flying through the whole thing. But some parts that were really interesting to note, at that time, you know, Lincoln did not say that he was going to abolish slavery. What he was saying is that all new states will not have slavery in place. He felt it was a cruel practice and wasn't going to work. Now, Park Ranger made a good point. It wasn't necessarily that he felt that blacks should be freed. He just didn't think that blacks and whites could coexist. In fact, at one point, his idea was no slavery, but send the blacks black to Africa. So he didn't necessarily believe in integration. However, he did not believe in the concept of slavery and was very pragmatic in his reproach. So South Carolina goes, hang on a second, we're not doing that. Wait, what? No, we, we need slaves. Like this is exactly how our entire economy is taken care of because they're the slaves working the plantation. They're making the rice specifically was a huge export for South Carolina. Hey, we're done. We're seceding. We're out. Like, wait, what? You're leaving the union? Yep. Cool. And then other states started to flee as well. There was overtures from Maryland, etc. So the battle takes place April 12th of 1861. Fort Sumter, first shots are fired. And it's amazing when you're on the island. I was moved by thinking, okay, I want to stand on the exact shot. Imagine you're a part of the Union Army yeah. and the 4.30 a.m., shots are fired. American history is irrevocably changed forever. Like this is American versus American. This is the most impactful war in this country's history. And those were the first shots. We we're standing on that exact area. And it wasn't even a war. It wasn't even a battle. They just got shelled. Like the Confederates just pounded the crap out of them. And eventually they took over the fort. And then it was there for, for the duration of the Civil War, all four years. In 1863, the Union Army tried to take over once again. Still the Confederates hung tough. Uh, and eventually it was almost synchronistic in terms of when the war ended. Because in February of 1865, the war was pretty much done. And this was an amazing factoid that Andy told us. Lincoln wanted to have a commemorative ceremony on April 11th, April 12th. He's like, all right, it's been four years. The Union has been saved. At one point, Larry David said on Kirby Enthusiasm, I never understood the Civil War. Do we really need the South? But... Lincoln goes to live a commemorative ceremony. It's four years to the day. And instead, he went to the theater. We all know what happened to that. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? So it completely changed the fact they wanted to do the four years. What was also fascinating is the Civil War kept on going. I said, hang on a second. I thought the war ended yeah. in February of 1865. Goes, what happened is this. The war pretty much ends February of 1865. Lincoln's assassinated a month and a half later, almost four years to the day of when the Civil War started. But there were still wars being fought even into November and December. And the USS Shenandoah, which was a boat of pirates, 
was still capturing Union armies. They were captured, like, ah, oh, we got you. And they would say to them, don't you guys know the war is over? Like, yeah, yeah, bullshit, of course you're saying that. And they would go ahead and grab their stuff, kill them, whatever. Eventually, they grabbed a boat. This is in November of 1865. And they go, hey, don't you know the war is over? They go, uh, what? And they, they actually had a newspaper headline that said, look, the war's over. Like, Lincoln was, was assassinated. The Union's over. Like, we got to get out of here. So they, fl- they fled to Liverpool, England. It's amazing. They, they fled the Atlantic Ocean to Liverpool, England, and apparently sought asylum there. This band of pirates wow. upon the USS Shenandoah. Because nobody let them know eight months later, by the way, the war is over. And as I said, if you go to Fort Sumter, you're only there an hour. I mean, you need yeah. at least three hours. So you're flying yeah. through it, especially with kids. Obviously, they don't really care. Although, eh, a couple of cannons here, a couple of swords. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But I was, I was amazed. I see this one placard. It goes 54th Regiment. I go, I know that. That's Glory. And the guy's like, yeah, it goes Fort Wagner right there, 0.8 miles. So the movie Glory is so impactful because, again, it's telling the story of this all-black regiment, which... Again, Lincoln was pragmatic. It wasn't like he was trying to save all black people from the beginning, but he didn't believe in slavery as a concept. He thought it was immoral. And I love what Andy said. He goes, you have to realize standing here, this entire country is fed on the backs of slaves, period. 10.8 million slaves were brought from Africa, and this country was built upon their backs. 383,000 in particular went to the port of Charleston. He's like, a lot of those slaves came from Africa to South Carolina. And he's like, all the men were chained together. Women were not, but often impregnated by their captors. And he goes, there's no place to go to the bathroom. just stuck in a body. Harrowing stuff right yeah so when i was when i was thinking about glory again you know again the performances really stand out it's a series of vignettes as these guys want to go to war andre brower is amazing he's like the you know the smart educated black intellectual it's not that he's trying to get curry favor necessarily with matthew broderick and carrie ellis but he's friends with these guys and still he's being dehumanized and just being beaten down by one of these corporals and at one point he goes to talk to matthew broderick and he says you know all officers must seek special permission in order to talk to them he's so they're so cruel and yet yeah Brower's character wants to be a part of it. Even though he's getting made fun of, he's got the glasses, he's well-read, he's articulate. No, he wants to fight for the cause. And Morgan Freeman at one point yells at Denzel Washington. He's like, you know, you're so full of anger, you're so full of rage. We got a chance here to fight for our freedom. Like, are you just so mad at everybody you can't take anything? Uh, but Denzel's character is the most fascinating. He's a runaway slave who signs up to fight in the army. And the most impactful scene of glory is this. Uh, at one point, Broderick has woken up. They say, we got a deserter. They bring Denzel there. And he goes, all right, whip him with the lashes. And the guy rips off his shirt and he just, he just, just it's insane. His whole back is all scarred because yeah. his whole life has been scarred. And it's such great acting by Denzel because Brock's like, all right, commence the slashes. And the way he looks at him and oh, he just yeah, does I this, remember that scene. Right. He's and the way he does that with the, it just, just rips the shirt off. The way he rips that shirt so good and just stares him down, that defiant look on his face. And Denzel himself said, listen, we weren't faking it. Like I was getting whipped. It was painful. And then the single tear comes down because this guy's clearly in so much pain, but it refuses to be broken or at least seen that he's being broken by this guy. It is such yeah. impactful acting. Later on, there's a great camp fire scene, all the black soldiers sitting around. Oh my lord, 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 lord. Each one of them gives a speech. Dan Ackroyd was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Driving Miss Daisy. He said, when I watched that movie, I'm like, oh, uh, Denzel's one in this one. Like, that, We all have no chance, especially that campfire scene. Like, it's amazing. And one of the racist characters comes around by the end. Give him hell, 54th. What a great scene that is. And then it leads to the ending of the movie, which is Fort Wagner, which Again, for so many war movies, you try to end on a positive note. No, Fort Wagner was a Confederacy stronghold, and they were charged in there, the 54th Regiment, knowing pretty much it was a suicide mission. And, and that final scene is so incredible to watch it now. You know, when Broderick gets shot, flag goes down, Denzel comes to his rescue, he goes down. Morgan Freeman, Carrie Elwes still alive, still going. Music, again, soaring orchestra. I mean, that last bit of music is so amazing with James Horner. They go, and the last shot of glory is a cannon that just gets turned around. Boom. Like, that's it. Movie over. Like, they got wiped out. And then the last scene is, is really genuinely moving in slow motion. You see Broderick's character. You know, he's all, they're all been dead now, wiped out. He gets thrown on the beach in slow motion. Then Denzel goes next to him. But the crawl that comes up is really impactful. It says that, you know, that the Union never took that fort. But Lincoln and the Union were so impressed by the effort of the black soldiers, more black soldiers came up. And Lincoln himself said he credited uh, the black soldiers volunteering to fight with helping to turn the tide of the war. So Glory is an incredibly impactful movie. Uh, It's my favorite Civil War movie. I think it's one of the best war movies ever made up there with Platoon. Again, Denzel's performance, if you've never seen it, but Morgan Freeman, really good. And the score by James Horner. I'm going to go listen to the music from Glory. It is really, really well done.
It's a real pleasure bringing Dennis Lehane. Blackbird is a terrific show right now on Apple+. Plus. I encourage everyone to check it out. American crime drama and limited series. Of course, if you're a fan of movies and if you're an author or an avid reader, you know Dennis's name. Some great books like Mystic River and Shutter Island and so many more that have been adapted into feature films. Dennis, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for giving us a few minutes. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about Blackbird. I am um, fascinated by, uh, first and foremost, the fact it's based on a true story. This is one of those that I say, okay, this has to come from your vivid imagination. You must have looked deep into the recesses of your mind to come up with a story like this. And yet, no, it, it is actually cribbed from real life. How can that be? I, You know, a lot of people are asking that question, um, including us. Uh, <laughs> we never got a fully satisfactory answer, and I believe it's because we discovered that this was a highly illegal operation. <laughs> and then if anything had ever happened to Jimmy Keene in reality, that everybody would have been liable. You know, we're yeah. talking states, attorneys, prison systems, federal government, everybody would have been liable. So nobody wants to really go on record with the specifics of how they did it. Yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, for those who are unaware of the story, I'll give it to you real briefly. Yep. Jimmy Keene begins a 10-year prison sentence. He gets an incredible offer. If he can elicit a confession from suspected killer Larry Hall, he will be freed. Completing this mission becomes a challenge of a lifetime. So like you said, hey, uh, if you can just find out what this guy did, we'll, we'll wash your hands of your crime. That seems obviously something that you wouldn't necessarily hear about. Um, Paul Walter Hauser. This guy is Larry Hall. I remember first being blown away by him in Richard Jewell. He's just, I think, such an actor who's got so much nuance to his performance. Uh, he's unsettling. He's creepy. Tell me more about working with Paul. Well, Paul was amazing. Paul, I was saying to Paul from the beginning that, that this is going to cost you. This is going to be tough, you know? And he was like, no, I never take roles home with me. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. And this started to grind him because if you look at the performance he gives, it's so... He lives, it's lived in. And I know we hear that word a lot, but think about living in the skin of a guy who may have killed upwards of 40 people. You know, that's, that's you don't want to live there. I don't want to live there. And Paul lived there for four months. And Paul's a very gentle, positive, caring human being. And he had to say some of the most vile things in this show. And, you know, to get it, to stay in the mind of a man who many people believe killed upwards of 40 women. And he was astonishing, but it, he began to take it, take it home with him. And it was really difficult on him. Then he kind of got a reprieve. And then the show came, was, was about to come out and we watched all the episodes again together, he and I, and he was a disaster. He walked <laughs> out of my house. Just, he said he immediately pulled over to the side of the road, called first his shrink and then his sponsor. I mean, he was a mess. Uh, so it's it's a lot. It was a lot to ask, and all. It's so funny because we all had me and Paul both had trouble with a line that Jimmy is documented as Larry saying in his confession to him ultimately, and and it was a line that caused me to pull my car to the side of the road the first time I heard it, and it was a line that Paul broke down the first time he read it in a table read, and you go, that's the depth of what he was carrying. You know? Right. What was the line? Um, it was it was when Larry's finally starts talking about a killing and he's and he says well you know she began crying for her mother and that just really made me angry that is a tough one to handle um yeah. the whole casting is exquisite the late great ray Liotta. tell me about working with ray a guy who's been so many memorable performances it's great to see him and greg Kinnear in this as well but tell me a little bit about ray if you don't mind uh, i wrote the role for ray ray was Ray was one of my favorite actors forever I, it was it was a dream come true to be able to work with him and I always wanted to write. I've seen such breath in Ray's performances, and yet he's usually just cubbyholed into this one role, which is the tough kind of mobster guy or the tough cop guy, which is the same guy. Yeah. And I wanted him to, you know, I, I was reliving performances like, you know, uh, Field of Dreams, Copland, uh, The Blow, where he plays just a gentle, wonderful human being. And um, so I, I wrote the role for him to kind of cover this, this guy might have been a tough guy once, but he's it's, it's all in the past. It's all far, far in the past. And now he's just trying to ha hang on to see his son get out of prison. Yeah, and, and it really is. And I'm glad you mentioned Blow, because there's definitely shades of that. This guy who's got this real kindness and uh, genteel attitude about him, which isn't something you'd always see with Ray. What I, I really love about Blackbird, and why I encourage everyone to see it, is that you know, you obviously are a novelist, but the way that the show is unfolding, it feels like a patron. Like, it feels like one of your books and the fact that it is not only cinematic, but narratively driven. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if that totally makes sense. But, but you know, it makes you, all the sense in the world. 
Yeah. So did you have that sense when you were making it that's like, listen, I, I trust the audience is smart enough that this will unfold naturally. Let's not be gimmicky about this. Because what I love about it is it feels so grounded and yet suspenseful. Yeah, that, that's, that's what you want to do. At the end of the day, that's what you want to do. And so uh, my, what I bring to the table is, is narrative. I'm not, I'm not cinematic. I'm a, I'm a writer. So uh, each episode had to be like a, a little, you know, by the end, you had to get just a little bit more to get us to the point, because that's the game Jimmy was playing. Jimmy's trying to build trust with a guy who's incapable of it, seemingly. And, and he has to keep building and figure out ways to do it. And it's like, it's like putting keys in the, in the hole and it's not the right key and it's not the right key and it's not the right key. He has to find the right key to get Larry to say, oh, let me tell you about what I used to do when I drove around in my van. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that's a dance. And I wanted the show to be a dance. It certainly is. And it's a fabulous dance. I hope people will keep dancing along to it. Four episodes so far. The next episode airs this Friday. There's six episodes in total. I encourage everyone to make sure you check out Blackbird. Since I have you, Dennis, I'm such a huge fan of your work. I got to ask you a few others. Sure. Mystic River, I watched the film first, and then I read the book afterwards. With Shutter Island, I read the book first, then I watched the movie. But let's do Mystic River first. Okay. Um, what, did, what did you think of, of Eastwood's adaptation? Because it was amazing to me. Again, I saw the film first, and I don't know what characters he'd stripped it of. I thought it was a fairly faithful adaptation, but how did you find a film like that, which is so powerful and I think most notably seen by so many, the fact that Penn and Robbins deserved, you know, the cameo recognition. I hope that led to more of a spurt of people actually reading your novel. But what did you think of, of Clint's adaptation? Well, that's what the, the first thing I thought of is something, you know, Rick Moody said to me, uh, the, the writer Rick Moody said to me just before it came out, he said, look, no matter what, it's a $50 million advertisement for your book. So <laughs> yay, you know, um, and that's how I feel about all the films. But then I saw the film and I, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I've been on vocal. I mean, I've been very authentic about this throughout. I can't ultimately judge any of the films. I can only judge their pieces. And so I can say, oh, great performances, great cinematography, great direction, great score, great. And I can do all that. And I did all that with Mr. Grimmer. But at the end of the day, I kind of look at it like when you go into a movie, when I go into a movie about it, any movie, any other movie, I immediately forget. It's called suspension of disbelief. I forget I'm watching something fake. But when it's an adaptation of your work, you know it's fake through the whole, you know, I remember seeing the movie with an audience and at one point I, I could hear them gasp and I thought it was Tim Robbins scene and I said, oh, wow, you think he did it? Because I knew he didn't, you know what I mean? But I, I <laughs> but I, so it's like that. It's, it's very strange. Or, or when you say, when you're looking at like Shutter Island and you, and you, and you start to see people piece together the clues I watched it recently with my kids, which probably yeah. would get me my parental license <laughs> taken away. But depending on his age or her age, <laughs> but it was the girls and <laughs> and watching them kind of go, wait a second, and start to piece together the dreams because that's where all the clues are. And they were like, "But remember in that dream?" And I was like, "Oh wow, you guys don't know, you guys <laughs> right, right." So I can look at all of the films and say, I I admire them. I don't know. Uh, beyond that, you know, what, I can't judge them beyond that. I, I have a, I have a soft spot for Gone Baby Gone because it was filmed. It was filmed literally on the streets I grew up in, you know. Yeah. So, like the first shot you ever see that film is a street that is one block away from where wow. I grew up when I spent my entire life. So that has a soft spot in my heart. But beyond that, I think they all look. Look, I think they're all good. Yeah, so everybody go <laughs> get them, rent them, rent them, <laughs> buy them, buy them on. Your Apple TV this weekend or on Amazon. They're so good. You know, give me 10 bucks. <laughs> Spend your money, buy the movies, and then buy the books too, damn it. Do all these Exactly. What I always find interesting too is when things are adapted, people may sometimes end up knowing the film or television better than the book. Meaning, in the case of Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross, which is one of my favorite plays, people often confuse the Alec Baldwin monologue with the play. That's not in the play. It's Mammoth wrote that specifically for the movie. So yeah. I've, I've seen the show on Broadway twice. I saw Liev Schreiber play Ricky Roma. I've seen Bobby Cannavale play Ricky Roma. And I have a friend with me going, oh my God, I went to see it, but I was so disappointed they cut the Alec Baldwin stuff. And I said, that's not in the play. That, that's in, in the movie. Right. Yeah. Exactly. In the movie. So what yeah. I wondered with Mystic River, because I remember watching the film and people end up quoting certain passages and particularly Sean Penn when he says, is that my daughter in there? Is that it's my daughter in there? All and I time. said, people are going to, I go, I don't actually know if that's even in the book. So that's what I wanted to ask you. Is it actually in the books? I can't remember if it is or not. 
I, I, it is. It is. I okay, remember right. I remember where I was when I wrote it. I was in okay. a parking lot of a movie theater when I when I came up with that. I was waiting for a buddy and I wrote that scene. Because um, there has to be moments like that that people quote things to you and you go, "Hey, that's I didn't write that, but thanks." Oh no, no, no. <laughs> Here's where I'll give you where it's painful. When we worked on the wire, when I wrote for the wire, our scenes would shift. So you'd be you'd write a scene for your episode was three, right? But they'd have to pull things from. Richard Price's script in episode two, put it in your episode when they filmed it and vice yeah. versa. So we all have the exact same story, which is somebody <laughs> will come up to us and say, oh, you wrote that episode, Dead Soldiers of the Wire. And I'll be like, yeah. And they'll be like, I love the line when, and they'll say it and I'll be like, in my head, that was Richard. You know what I mean? <laughs> that wasn't me, you know? And Richard has that story. George Pelicanos has that story. Like we yeah. all have stories about where lines from other authors ended up in our scripts and we, we and we're complimented on them. Never our own. And it's so funny you said that because as great as your work is, I, I'm also a big fan of Richard Price and it makes sense. Gritty, crime fiction, really nuanced characters. So I always find that amusing when you're right. People kind of do it with actors all the time, right? They just confuse them together. So it makes sense they would confuse authors as well sometimes as well. What was it like in the writer's rooms of The Wire? Were you writing individually or was it you and Price and Pelicanos and David Simon together? It would be, it, well, we were writing individually, but we, we were right. breaking the story would be... Um, it would be with the individual writers would come into the sort of macro room. Yeah. It was very different than I've ever seen done since. So I would fly into Baltimore. I would stay probably two weeks. I would go in the room every day and then we would break my episode, episode three. Mm -hmm. And that would be the brain trust. So the brain trust was David Simon, Ed Burns, Bill Zorzi, and George Pelicanos. That was gotcha. the sort of general brain trust of the wire. And then the rest of us would just, we were guns for hire. We'd just come in and do our job and we'd leave. It's amazing. Like, I look back and it's like, you know, as you know, with awards, they're so arbitrary. You know, what can you do? But it really is egregious. When I look back at The Wire, how it was not nominated for Best Dramatic Show. Forget about winning. Just give me, like, 10 nominations. No, the actress nominated, I think, writing maybe twice. Like, it's crazy yeah, to me. The one, the one that was shocking was, I think, Michael K. Williams. That I, I still feel that was egregious. I still feel like, who, who were you nominated back then? <laughs> if you're not nominating the guy who plays Omar, you know, what, what, were, you, what were you doing? Like, I, I'm baffled by that. So, yeah. But that's the only one. And, and it is. It comes down to awards are, it's a no-win situation in the award. If you get it, if you get nominated, I personally always feel like, what are they, high? What about all these other people who, who totally deserve it more than me? You know, you're going to nominate me, but not Vince Gilligan. Like, I'm just giving an arbitrary sure. example, right? Yeah. But if you don't get nominated, you're like, what are you, high? Like, <laughs> you see what work I just did? You know, so it's like, it's literally, there's no win in this circumstance. So you just got to just blow it off in your head. Like, I just, I just say, you know what? When we came out with this show and we saw 98% on Rotten Tomatoes and yes. all this other stuff, I said to our other producers, I was like, I don't want to hear anything if, if we don't get nominated for Emmys a year from now. I don't right. care because there's a great Bobby Darren line. Anybody who wants any more than that out of life is just plain evil. And I'm like, wow. we won. We're good. Yeah. And so then it just becomes a silly argument. But except for Michael K. Williams. <laughs> wrong it's they should go they should go back they should find whoever got the emmys those years they should give them to michael kate williams i just feel 100 percent on that one. Oh, i'm with you just just you know redo the whole thing just from that year we'll strip whoever won the emmy at least give michael k williams an award as well but Lord i think that's a good or something i mean geez yeah. name the emmys to michael k williams you know like just <laughs> I, one more, and I'll let you go. I promise. This has been sure. great. But on Shutter Island, did you get to talk to Scorsese at all? Because I read the book, and it kind of it annoyed me because the book was so great. And as much as I adore Scorsese, it just there was different visions of what I had, right? So when I'm reading your book, it's my own visions of people, and I watch it. It's okay. Like I love Mark Ruffalo, and he's great, but this wasn't what I pictured. Or when when Ladies is finally discovered, you know, when Ben Kingsley has that whole yeah, scene yeah. explains it. I said, okay, it's different. I'm just curious. Did you have any involvement with Scorsese specifically on Shutter Island? Oh, I did, but not in terms of like, I was an actual producer on Shutter Island. So I had right. more power ostensibly than I would normally have. I hung with Marty a couple of times and, but no, he's Martin Scorsese. What are you going to do? Like, <laughs> hey, I don't know, Marty, I think the camera would look good over there. Like, you know, like, come on, man. Like, I'm not going to do that. And 
what Marty did and what Lita Calagridis, the screenwriter, did was they captured what I was doing with a trick I was playing in the book that you might not have been apparent, which is I was not writing a book set in reality. I was writing a book about 1950s paranoia films. Right. So it, it was very much, and Marty got that. And yeah. I, I, I'm calling him Marty. I feel like such a Hollywood schmuck. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, Mr. Scorsese got that. And so the film is very much shot to be kind of heightened. It's a heightened yeah. reality. Everybody's given heightened performances. The camera work is very heightened. Everything's made to look slightly inauthentic to give it the feel of 1950s B-movies. And that's what he did. And I, lo I loved it. I thought it was a blast. But you can't please everybody or even 50% of the people. You just got to yeah. kind of roll with it. So I liked it. But again, I can't judge my own movies. Like, I was shocked when nobody liked Live by Night. I was shocked. Right. Ben Affleck, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, but I was like, I thought it looked great. But yeah. I can't judge it. Maybe I would have gotten it if I actually, you know, didn't wasn't connected to it. I could have actually watched it and said, oh, I don't like it. But I was just watching yeah. it in the theater and I was like, what's, what's good to me? <laughs> I got no issues here that he can't yeah, replace it. They did a good job here. Look at how cool the cars are, you know, like... <laughs> And Ben Affleck's been really, really, obviously, outspoken. I have admiration and, and really deep love for your work and what you've done, just, I think, for the area of Boston and all of New England. Last one here from my producer, Chris Cody. He wants to know, is Leo as dashing in person as you'd imagine? Oh, it's just the heartbeats. No, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, a, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, it's, it wouldn't do it for me. I know that my, my wife at the time, when she met him, she forgot how to talk. Like, I, I remember that really clearly. Like, he came up, he was asking all these questions, and she was like, uh, uh, uh. And then he walked away. Like, he was looking at her like, um, okay. And then he walks away, and she's like, what happened? Like, you know, so he's, you know, if I'm going by the women I know, uh, yes. you know, he seems to be rather magnetic. <laughs> she, she blacked out, basically. Yes, so it was definitely experience. So there you go. Uh, this was great stuff. Dennis Lehane, again, go appreciate and read all of his books and all of his work, but particularly Blackbird. He's Blackbird. right, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. The Emmy Awards, I don't believe it was eligible for this year, but next year it will be. I think you and I both know limited series really are so special right now in television. The indie movies we loved before, they've now become limited series, and that's why Blackbird, to me, is so special. It's authentic, it's powerful, it's thoughtful, it's got a great cast, and honestly, you've had an accomplished career. Dennis, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate thank it. You. This was great. What a blast. Have a great one. <laughs> All right, thank you so much to Dennis Lehane. I love the fact Cody got in the uh, heartthrob question. You could tell he had to, right? He, he didn't want to be like, yeah, he's really hot. He was like, well, you know, like, oh, it's not my thing. I'm like, well, well, like we kind of knew that. We just, like, you could yeah. just say he's handsome. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a quick thought here. Um, God clearly needs some heavies up in heaven, okay? We have had a, a run here of tough guys dying. Tony Sirico, Polly Walnuts, Ray Liotta, and now Paul Servino. I mean, the Servino, of course, known for playing Polly in Goodfellas, who is such a memorable character. He just passed at the age of 83, so... Obviously, known primarily for Goodfellas, and he's so great in that movie because his presence is so good. You know, the, the narration from Henry Hill's Ray Liotta, Paulie moves slow, but that's only because Paulie didn't have to move for anybody. Uh, when, he, when he first gets, uh, when Henry Hill gets pinched as a kid, and he goes, I thought you'd be mad at you. He goes, mad at you? No, look at you. You pop your cherry. Yeah, they all start <laughs> laughing. And later on, when Ray Liotta goes to him, desperate for affirmation and the way that Polly just gives him a handful of money because he knows he told him hey don't mess around with those drugs and instill Henry Hill Ray Liotta did it and it's the way he looks at him and just says now nah, I gotta turn my back on you like, it's amazing and he's like and you hear the narration like 1800 bucks my whole life and now Polly's gonna be 1800 bucks to live on and when Henry Hill flips on him somebody tweeted he goes that look on Paul Servino's face when he knows this guy's turned on him in court and it's an amazing look just just eyes of fury coming out of his eyes also, his daughter, Mira Servino, won an Academy Award for Mighty Aphrodite, Woody Allen film. So if you look up that clip when she won, Paul Servino is bawling in the audience. It is one of the great proud father moments. Uh, we always say that we want great successes, but we want them even more for our children. And seeing Paul Servino bawling like that, it's, it's a wonderful image. Uh, and Mira Servino, of course, tweeting about her father passing away. So Paul Servino, noted actor, of course, never better as Paulie in Goodfellas. Chris had mentioned the idea of Tim Kirchin. You want me to, oh. Are we going to play this essay on the way out now here? I, at the very least, I want to tell people to go listen to it. Like we did, we, right. maybe we ran a little long. What do you think? Yeah. You want to play it? Let's play. We can play it for the people. It doesn't really matter. If you want to play it for the people? Fine. But 
yeah, Tim Kirkson is a good friend of mine. He's obviously a great, great guy. You know him from the Levitard show. I mean, listen, I'll, I'll tell one story, which you will hear in the essay we're going to play, but I'll give a little more background on it. When we were in Miami, Chris's town there for the All-Star game, as we were walking up and whisked off the set for the Home Run Derby, I see Pitbull. And I make yeah. a beal on him. I'm like, yo, man, you're the best. He's like, I got, I got a huge fan of yours over here. He's like, all right, cool, cool. And I kind of grab him for a second, and Kirchin comes over. And Pitbull says to Kirchin, like, oh, I heard you're a big fan. <laughs> And Tim, like five foot four and a half baseball lifers, like, yeah. And it was the most awkward of bro hugs. Like I would I would just I would never I would just know not to shake Tim's hand like this. I would not clasp, I would just shake. But oh, he Pitbull brought him went in for the, the clasp. dap, the dap, he went for the dap hug. and the oh. bro hug. I'm like, oh my god, this is, I wish I could have recorded that. But the picture itself was amazing. Mr. Baseball meets Mr. 305. But this is how good Chris and these guys are. They then had Tim on and then had him reading Pitbull lyrics, which you gotta look this up on YouTube if you've ever seen it. Oh. Kirchner reading Pitbull lyrics is one of the all-time <laughs> moments ever. It's so good. Um, but Cooperstown was awesome. If you're a baseball guy like me and Chris, you'd love it. The history there is amazing. I got to meet Juan Marichal. Uh, Larry Walker was awesome. Fellow Canadian, obviously. He was really cool. Cal Ripken was awesome. Raleigh Fingers, George Brett. Uh, obviously, Tony Perez. Eddie Perez, of course, was the best. He is the son of a Hall of Famer. Tony, of course, the, the big red machine. He was like, just hang with me and you'll be fine. He kept laughing afterwards because he goes... These guys all think you're Latino. He's like, my dad started speaking Spanish to you. Juan Marisol was speaking Spanish to you. He's like, so the next time you come back here, you better learn some Spanish. These, these guys, I just keep going, see, see, yeah, see, see, hola, yeah. Pudge Rodriguez, Jeff Bagwell. Have you ever been to the Hall of Fame or no? I was just thinking, watching you there, I was like, damn, I should have, I should have like, got Adnan to get me there. I should be, I wanted to be, I wanted to be there for yeah. Tim Kirchens, but I was on vacation, so I probably wouldn't have been able to make it. But, <laughs> I, I want to go next time. I want to okay. I want to hang. I want to schmooze with you. I want me and yeah. you to work a Hall of Fame room. And, and you nailed it. The key is don't just go on your own. Like go with somebody that you can schmooze with. Like that's really yeah. the key. Because yeah. if I wasn't there with Eddie and I was just kind of hanging around, I'm like okay, like it's cool, but it's whatever. But yeah. the fact that I'm there with Eddie, who's like, bro, oh. come with me, come with me. He's saying to this guy, hey, look, there's this. Like, like Wade Boggs is unbelievable. Like I would not. If you and me are there, we're not going to talk to Wade Boggs. But I would just. Go, it's Wade Boggs. And he go, hey, Wade, get over here. Boom, boom, then boom. And like Wade Boggs is to get after it. He's telling stories. Hair is like reddish Wade tint. Boggs is a look right now. Oh that my dude God. is just he. Like when he walked <laughs> in, it almost looked like an SNL character. I go, is that someone trying to play Wade Boggs? Right. No, it's actually Wade. And I, and I, I didn't know what to say to him. I just go, Yankees, Red Sox, and you got your 3,000th hit with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. And he's like, more importantly, I can sing. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, because I got friends in low <laughs> places. So I'm like, yes, oh, wow. Wade Boggs loves his country music. That's All right, awesome. let's go. You know but, what? Uh, <clears throat> We've gone too long, so we're not going to play it here. But I okay, want people fine. right now. Yeah. I loved what Adnan did on MLB Network for Tim Kirchin. It's like a six yeah. or seven minute thing. It's yeah. all I shared it on my Twitter. It's on Adnan's Twitter. Yeah. Go check it out. If you're a fan, if you like Tim Kirchin, it is just such a it's a nice capsule for just what Tim Kirchin is and what he's done for baseball and just like how likable and lovable that guy is. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. No one's ever said a bad word about the guy. He's so generous, so kind. And I like what you noted about the essay was I included lots of little tidbits about him, which is what Tim does whenever right. he talks about a player. Yeah. So I, yeah. I try to give it a personal the one, touch. The, someone shared a tidbit with you, like, who's the 10%? Like, because most people in TV, 80%, like, you know, you did that percentage thing. But then they were like, who's the 10% that doesn't like Tim Kirchin? No, <laughs> yeah. no one. Yeah, Phil Orland's a bossiest pin. Goes, anybody on TV, radio, whatever, 80, 10, 10. 10% like you, 10% hate you, 80% don't care. And he goes, now in Tim's case, I think it's 10% don't like him, 10% don't care, 80% like him. And I said to Jason Stark, and he goes, yeah, I got it, but who's the 10% that doesn't like Tim? Yeah, right. Like, it's like, like, it's like, 90% like him, yeah. 10% indifferent. That's yeah. Tim Kirkson's chart. <laughs> He's the only one that can pull it off. I still love to. One of the greatest lines ever was about Mike Schmidt, the third baseman, because Tim was so good with words, he was talking about his strength and his dexterity, and he goes, Mike Schmidt's the kind of guy that could move a piano, and he could play one, too. Yes. Long pause, and so Rick Sutcliffe, the metaphor over his head, goes, I had no idea Schmidt could play the piano. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That is so beautiful. That is so good for Tim. It's the stuff of greatness. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. He didn't get the joke over his head. But no idea. Not that uh, it's a joke, but he just didn't yeah. get the... I've known Mark Schmidt for 20 years. I've never seen him play the piano. Are you kidding me? He can play Moonlight Sonata? Chopsticks. Yeah, let's get some Beethoven in here. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for checking out Cinephile. I appreciate Dennis Lehane. I appreciate all of you listening, and most of all, Cody, for hustling all his vacation. Coming up, we got great guests coming up. Cal Penn is coming up. That's right. Yes. Harold and Kumar. He's got a book out. He, dude, this book is awesome. He's got stories about not only Harold and Kumar, not only on House, worked with Obama. It, it is a fascinating book, yeah. so I cannot wait to talk to Cal Penn. And of course, Chris knows his work very well. You know you know the sequel to Van Wilder. That's how well know, you know yeah, his Van stuff. Wilder, uh, yeah. Harold and Kumar. I got questions. Yeah, it's going to be go. awesome. So Cal's coming up. We got lots of great guests coming up. We'll see you at the movies. 
our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 